Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. by an artist named Pink who was talking about her six-year-old daughter, Willow. And Willow had come up to her and said, Mama, I'm the ugliest girl I know. She went on to say that she thinks she looks like a boy with long hair. Well, in a mama moment, uh, Pink together, put, put together some slides trying to prove that, no, 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 you're not ugly. In fact, many artists look different and God used them in powerful ways. He did, she didn't say it that way. She said they, they live their truth. They live their truth, and then she empathized. She said, you know, honey, that's what people said about me, that I look like a boy, that I was too masculine, that, that I was too strong, that maybe I should grow my hair out, but, but honey, do you see me selling out concert arenas? God still uses me. And then she looked at her as she was giving this speech straight in the eyes and says, my darling, you're beautiful, and I love you. That's a good mama moment, isn't it? Good mama moment. And I bring this up because I wonder how many of us, though, have had times like Willow. Times of insecurity, I guess. Whether it be deep strains of insecurity, momentary insecurity, and, and to maybe tap into that a little bit, I wanted to ask this question. Is there something you would like to change about yourself? There's something you'd like to change about yourself. I remember when I was at a youth rally, this was asked to a bunch of teens. What do you think their answer was? They actually said yes. And, and the majority said yes, and, and then they went into what they would like to change. And I think it was over 90% who said they would like to change something about their body. Body image was so important and so heightened to them. And high school was tough, wasn't it? If you're in high school, we apologize. You'll get through it. Um, but high school is tough. But I still relate to this because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have, I have this feeling that like, maybe people would love me more, I would have more influence, maybe even a little bit more friends. If I, for me, it's about losing 20 pounds and having 8% body fat. I think that would be great. I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to have 8% body fat, but I think that would be great. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, I'm going to have more friends, I'm going to have more influence if I just was less of this? And you can pick your less. It, it could be fat, it could be scars, it could be acne, it could be cellulite, it could be a lot of different things, but maybe if I had less of that and more of this, uh, bigger eyes, bigger lips, better hair, better style, you know, if, if only I was there, then maybe I, I'd be loved and I'd feel like I belong and, and people would like me. 
And some of you are like, well, pastor, how did you know? This is my struggle. You're speaking to my soul, and the reason I know is because I am you. And what I would say from the platform of this stage is that we are not alone. I don't know if I've met anyone who hasn't wrestled with insecurity over one thing or another. It's just a part of life. And so what's the answer? Brings us to Alessia Carr. Alessia Cara has one answer to this insecurity and speaks into it through the song, Scars to Our Beautiful. And let me share with you her story. Uh, her dad was a hairstylist, and yet she had frizzy hair. So she spent a lot of time and a lot of product, a lot of heat, I guess, to get curly hair straight. Is that right? To get curly hair straight. And, and because she was using so much product and heat, she was losing hair by the handfuls. She's like, I got to stop. I'm too young for this. And she wrote this song, Scars to Your Beautiful. Here are some of the lyrics as we tune in. It says, you should know you're beautiful just the way you are, and you don't have to change a thing. The world can change its heart. No scars to your beautiful. Similar to the message of Pink, who looked at a daughter and said, you know what, you're beautiful, darling. It's all right. It's okay. But I just wonder, is, is there perhaps a better artist yet? and a more profound truth yet that could speak to how we deal with insecurity. And I guess the reason I woke up today, and I'm excited for you to be here, even in the second service, is because I believe God is an artist who has a profound statement to tell you about your value and your worth and your beauty. And I believe he does it even better. He riffs a little bit better than even Alessia Cara, and he does it through the words of David. Let's get into it. See, David was a songwriter. And he wrote Psalm 139 so that all of us could, could appreciate and all of us could learn from. And I, I invite you to turn your attention to Psalm 139. And you can follow along either on the, the screen here or your worship folder, whatever works for you. It says, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me, written in your book before one of them came to be. And so how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. And so maybe you've heard once upon a time that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe you're new to Christianity and you haven't heard this passage. It's just, it's just so phenomenal. In fact, can we use it a little bit today? Could you turn to someone next to you and just say, you're wonderfully made. You're wonderfully made. You're wonderfully made, wonderfully made, wonderfully made. That's what we're talking about today. May God bless us. Are we still awake? Cool. It's good. I am too. I didn't have coffee in between service though, so watch out for me. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard TED Talks. TED Talks. This is, you know, one of the great things about the age we live in, the internet, right? Uh, because you can tune in if you have online, you know, service Wi-Fi, and hear some of the most phenomenal speakers, some of the greatest wisdom, just in 20 minutes in a TED Talk. Well, I recently listened to one uh, gal named Brene Brown, who I think is brilliant. I, I've referred to her here on stage before. And she was talking about the power of vulnerability. 
And have you ever had this experience where you're listening to someone and your mind is blown? It was so phenomenal that my mind wasn't just blown. It was like fireworks going off because it was like one here, one there. I was like, whoa. Let me share with you some of what was going on. Okay, so she was talking first about shame. And her definition of shame was the fear of disconnection. The fear that, that I won't connect to other people. And the root of that is this idea that maybe I'm not good enough. And she said, you know, maybe it's that I'm not smart enough, I'm not promoted enough, I'm not rich enough. And, and, and we all wrestle with shame. Shame is common, this fear of disconnection. But if we don't get over our shame, it prohibits us from feeling connected to others. It prohibits us from having authentic relationships or, or feeling worthy. And then she did more study with people. And, and she did thousands of case studies, and she started grouping people. And she had one group, the people who felt loved and who felt a strong sense of belonging. And then another group of people who didn't feel loved and didn't feel as if they belonged. And, and she, she gleaned out the truth of why is there this difference in the camp. And here's what she said it came down to. You ready? So, so here's Brene Brown. And here's the truth that she said. She said, the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging, <laughs> it's simple but profound. They just believe they're worthy of love and belonging. And that's it. So, so to be in this camp where I feel like I, I'm loved and I belong, it's just a matter that I believe I'm worthy of that. And for me, I'm like, everyone needs to know that they're worthy of love. Like, that's my theological mainframe. I, I believe God so loved the world. I believe he wants all to know his grace and his goodness. I'm like, this is a problem. We can solve it. Vanilla Ice, I, all musical reference. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, and, and, and so everyone needs to know they're worthy. That's where she landed, too. At the very end of her speech, she said the last thing, which is probably the most important, is just to get to the place where we believe we're enough. That's all. But the question is, how do you get there? If you're feeling unworthy, how do you get to a place where you feel worthy? Back to Psalm 139. Let's let God answer it, okay? So Psalm 139 is all about how God knows us. Look at the early statements of Psalm 139. It says this. It says, you know when I sit and when I rise. So you know if I'm a morning person or a late person. And welcome again, late people. Night owls. I love you. Anyway, uh, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You know how excited I get over football and my fantasy football team. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. He knows all your mannerisms. He, he knows what your intricacies. He, he knows all of that, right? You know, what makes you you and, and so original. And in our lesson, it, it said, you know, even if we would hide in the darkness, he would make the darkness light in order to see us. God's like, I got night vision on you. There's nowhere you go that I cannot see. And then his final thought. After knowing all of us, our mannerisms, how we're made, where we are, what we do, he doesn't conclude, and by the way, gag me. Like, I am so done with you. Like, you're disgusting, right? That, that's not what the psalm said. It didn't say disgusting, gag me, none of the, the bad. It only went on then to say, after I have seen everything, I want you to know you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to know I planned on you. I purposed you. I weaved you like an artist weaves on a loom. I, I weaved you together in your mother's womb. And, and this is who you are. And so how do we get to a point where we feel we're worthy? The first takeaway is this. You're worthy because you were weaved. You're created on purpose for a purpose. 
God delights in you. You're part of his wonderful work. But it's still hard to get to that place. And let me speak about the things that still prohibit us from believing this. And, and I want to tell you a story. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, we had chores to do. Uh, how many still do chores at home? Cool, yeah. We cleaned the whole house every week. I kid you not. Whole house. In fifth grade, I had this work paradigm. It, it was this, this idea that if I'm lazy enough, my older brother, five years older, will pick up my slack. Now, do you think that worked? It absolutely did. Because the chores had to be done, and if I just mope around, he's still going to do it because he's in charge and he'll get in trouble. So, so this was the paradigm that I used for quite a while. It was a track record. It worked for me. I'm not so much it worked for him. Um, but because of this, um, I, I got to be known as lazy, okay? At least to my brother in fifth grade. I'm lazy dust, right? And um, what, what he doesn't know is that after he grew up and went on to the house, I actually changed. And, uh, you know, I had to take charge of the chores. And if you're watching, Ben, I still think I did more chores than you ever did. Um, so, so just for what it's worth, I, I, did, I did change. But, but, but now, when I see my brother, it's like I'm always trying to convince him I'm not the fifth grade version of myself. It's like I'm always trying to convince him I'm not lazy Dustin, Right? I guess what I'm saying is sometimes we're defined by what we've done. You know that? And for you, maybe it wasn't what you were in grade school, but maybe it was what you were in high school or in college. And it's easy to be defined by the shameful things that we have done. Maybe for you, it was a first job. Maybe for you, it was a first marriage. Maybe for you, it was something you did with your friends when when the guys were just doing what guys do or when the girls were just doing what girls do. And, And now you're defined because of one moment in time because of what you did. So it's hard to think of ourselves worthy. And then I consider the age we live in, and, and there's a rise of victims in, in our country. I was reading statistics, and it said one out of three girls or one out of five girls will be sexually abused. One out of five men or one out of 20 men will be sexually abused. And that, that was just sexual, not physical. The statistics range based on who did the studies and, and the reports that came in, but, but maybe you're getting the point that this is not an uncommon thing. What's hard about victimhood is not just what happened, and that's traumatic enough, but, but often after it, it happened, that person associates feelings of guilt and shame, not because of what they did, but because of what was done to them. And so people walk around and they live life defined by what someone did to them. So what's the answer? I guess I could tell you, along with Pink and Alessia Cara, I could tell you you're beautiful, and I could encourage you to have self-esteem. And I'm not, I'm not against self-esteem. I just think self-esteem at its core is still shaky ground because cause here's the thing I know about me is that I still fail me. I do. I, I still have not been made perfect. I still think things and say things and do things that I wish I wouldn't have. And so if it's all drawn about a belief that I will never fail me, that the truth is I do fail me quite a bit more than I want to relate to you. So... So it's, it's not that I want to get totally past self-esteem, but I just think there's a more profound answer today that I want to talk to you about, and that is Christ-esteem. And what I mean by Christ-esteem is this, that when it comes to how we view ourselves, we are not going to be defined by what we did or by what someone else did to us, but on the merits of what Christ did for us. And I think that is a pathway forward to believe that we're worthy of love to see ourselves 
through the lens of what Christ has done for us. Because here's what's true. You can tell a lot about the worth of something over against what someone's willing to do for it. Let me tell you a story. I was talking to someone who was excited to get the first Atari system. And they remember back in the day that in order to get the first Atari system, they basically signed a contract with their father uh, to up their practice time from 30 minutes to 60 minutes for a whole year playing organ. That's a valuable Atari, isn't it? 60 minutes every day in order to play, what was it, Frogger? I remember all the things I did for my first car. How valuable is the first car? I remember paying $150 just for liability insurance. Still mad at you, State Farm. We know how valuable something is based on what you're wor- willing to do for it. Let me tell you about Jesus, our Savior. He didn't practice 30, 60 minutes. He lived every minute because you were worth it. He lived every minute for you, being perfect in your place, fighting the battles you couldn't fight so you could be known as spotless so that you could be known as champion, as victor, as pure. And then he gave his life. He died, which speaks of our value. Ephesians 2 brings all of what God did for us and the result of it together. Ephesians 2 said this. Let's look here quick. It says, For it's by grace you have been saved, not from yourselves. And because of all of this, look what it made us. You are now God's, can you say that word? handiwork. And the word literally means creation. That you've been uh, created by the creator. Alessia Cara said you've been sculpted by the sculptor. She got it right. Yeah, absolutely. And that is us. You are his handiwork. In fact, I love what another pastor said. Uh, he, he went a little bit further with this idea of God being an artist. And Craig Rochelle said, you are God's poetic statement. You are his masterpiece. And I, I need to have some fun with you today about God being an artist, okay? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about art. And uh, I, I grew up watching a very famous artist named Bob Ross. Anyone remember this guy? Bob Ross. I mean, and he could draw a landscape and trees like nobody's business. And, and I wanted to have with you, if you let me, a Bob Ross moment. And so, um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be my, my best Bob Ross for you today. There we go. Pretty good, right? You know? And I even got the thing here going on. And, and we're just going to have some fun. And what I want you to imagine is don't imagine silly pastor doing this, and it's ridiculous, I know. But imagine that moment in time where God paused and thought of you. Where God paused and used his artistic ability and drew your outline and made your frame, though it was hidden in the depths of the earth, how he made it a reality. And, um, and so, so he's drawing, right? And, and just as I draw, and, and uh, I was telling the, the first uh, people that, do you know I got an N in art? So, so this is not really my skill, but, um, but it's good. And so he's, he's drawing, and he's, he's making beautiful things. Um, this, this is us, and, and he, he's working with color palettes, right? And he looked at you, and he's like, brown, blue? Well, let's go with the brown for some, blue for others. Uh, not purple. Those are, those are colored contacts. Um, uh, not, not that. Uh, let's do hair colors, right? And, and, and maybe, you know, we got some brunette and blonde, and we got some red and ginger, and, and that's all good. And, and then God has a sense of humor because he made hair, Right? And, and so, so he took hair, and he's like, I, I'm going to make it start at this time and end at this time. I'm going to make it grow there, but not there. Um, <laughs> and, and so you can tell he has a sense of humor ba- based on what he does with hair, right? You know, oh my goodness. Anyway, and, um, and so he's doing all of these things, and, and then at the end of it, he just, you know, he gets done, and he says, you know, ta-da! Now again, you don't have to like my art. It's, it's okay, and you're really not going to offend me. 
again, I got an N in art, which if you're a teacher is a nice way of saying you failed. Um, anyway, and um, okay, so, so maybe that's not so beautiful, but I have an idea of what is. Let me break it down. I think there's something more profound here. He says, this is beautiful. And I'm like, God, but I have hair up to my eyeballs. Doesn't matter. Fearfully, wonderfully made. He says, you're beautiful, Hunter. You're beautiful, Caden. Fearfully, wonderfully made. I I wouldn't want to make anything other than what I made. Beautiful, Sean. Beautiful. Beautiful, Melanie. Just the way you are. Beautiful. Beautiful, Ryan and Joe. That's what he said. My masterpiece. My masterpiece. Beautiful, Adam. Beautiful, Julia. Dan. Just how I wanted you. Just how I wanted you. Now, you can argue with my art. But by the Spirit of God, please stop arguing with his art. Could we just say the way God made me is all right? Could we just say, I I, I can stop the comparison game. I don't don't need to be like that person I idolize. I don't need to be like my older brother or sister. I don't need to be like the person. I just need to be me, and and that's okay, and God's okay with that. To know that you're beautiful to your deepest core because you are made, you're sculpted by the sculptor. When this sinks in, it can be profound. When this statement goes from our head to our soul, it has the ability to change hearts and lives, to make us believe that we are worthy of love and belonging. And so I want to show you our video for today. And our video tells the story of some people who have been changed by this message. And you can see the joy that it brought. And I'm sure they're still probably working it out, but but let me share with you uh, scars to your beautiful. I had always struggled with my weight growing up, like struggled to uh, feel pretty enough. I just never fit in. I was always, you know, the oddball. It was like, if you see a group, full of horses. I was the zebra. I really did focus so much on my outer image and I felt like I didn't know who I really was. As a 12 year old, I had brain surgery. I have a six inch scar and 18 stitches. When I hit puberty, I got a lot of acne, especially on my face. And teenage girls are ruthless. (laughs) I couldn't be a part of their group, so they kind of like treated me different. You know, I went through so many years, I couldn't um, even look people in the eyes. Because when I looked in the mirror, I saw who I really was as this broken, hurting child. I thought I was stupid. And I was worthless. She just wants to be beautiful. She goes unnoticed. She knows no limits. She craves. Attention she praises An image she prays to be Sculpted by the sculptor Oh, she don't seek The light that's shining Deeper than the eyes can find it Maybe we have made her blind So she tries to cover up her pain And cut her woes away Cause cover girls don't cry After their face is made But
whenever I first got my bike, but my mommy and daddy told me that I'm beautiful with my patch. So today when I think about that scar, I feel like it's God's mark on my life. When God made me, he knew what I was going to struggle with. Just knowing that there is a greater love, that's all that actually end up mattering to me. Now I realize that the reason why I didn't fit in was because I wasn't supposed to fit in. I was, I was uh, special. I don't look like a model in a magazine, but I know that I'm beautiful. Now I see a strong woman that God has created with a purpose. And so it doesn't really matter what people around you think. Um, it matters what God thinks. Yeah, <laughs> I am pretty beautiful. <laughs> beautiful no matter what. It's a powerful message, isn't it? It has the ability to destroy shame and guilt and give way to acceptance and love and the idea that we're worthy. You know, this was put together by Life Church, and they reframe the words a little bit too and let me show you how they reframe the words. You don't see you're perfect. You don't understand you're worth it. That Jesus would give his life for you. That beauty goes deeper than the surface. So to all the people that are hurting, let Christ be your mirror. See yourself through His lens. Help you see a little bit clearer. The light that shines within. There's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. You should know you're beautiful just the way you are. And the message of the gospel is is never better than, than understanding this, that in Christ and because of Christ, you are beautiful. And this is the essence of, of Christ's esteem that we all have, that we can celebrate, that we can tell the world about. We know there's a problem when you come to church, and the problem when you come to church is that you have a lot of head information, but how do we take what's up here and put it here? How do we live this truth? Well, I don't know because I've not been made perfect, but I have a theory. It reminds me of uh, when we were uh, training on the tech table. We got some new tech toys uh, installed recently, And, and the guy who did it was a great guy, but man, was there a lot of information. We were back there like an hour and a half, and he pretty much went over every button, and like, this is what this does, this is what this does. And we're like, <sighs> some had clocked out, some had like, you know, not taking the notes enough. And, and then he said something that I think really was striking. He's like, you know, I know this may not make sense now, but it will when you use it. And that's really how you learn, when you use it. When you implement it, then, then it makes sense. Right now, you're just at the training day. 
I mean, at church, you know, I know we worship and we praise, and that's all good, but, but you don't have a chance really to, to work this out, really. That, that's out there. And so God says, okay, it's not just about your training, it's about your implementation. But, but he said it this way, James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What good is it to have the answer for something and then never to use the answer? What good is it to you to hear that we are loved today, but then never live and act as if we were loved And so, as we leave today, here's what I advise you to do, is to work your worthy. Work it. And here's what I mean. Take that information and use it for as much as you need it. And maybe for some of you it's every day, maybe for some of you it's every hour, maybe for some of you it's every minute, just to walk into a classroom and an environment and people with others and say, you know what, I'm worthy of love and belonging because of Christ. I'm beautiful today regardless of my age, my look, my skin color, the things I don't like. I'm beautiful because God made me. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Maybe it's, it's working your worthy by just stopping the comparison game and, and, and saying, I'm going to stop the nonsense because I haven't been made like them. And guess what? God made me for a reason, and that's okay, and I'm going to be okay with it. Maybe it's just saying, I'm no longer going to declare something dirty and ugly, what God has declared pure and beautiful. And praying this out, and journaling it out, and putting it in the deepest parts of your soul. Work your worthy. But when we get there, and by God's grace, I think we can. We'll never perfect this game, though. We'll wrestle with insecurity the day we die, I believe. But, but there's hope. There's release. When we put this in place, can I, can I set your sights a little bit higher yet still? When this psalm was written, it's a big psalm. Do you think it was all about our beauty? Or was it written perhaps about someone else's beauty? Let me turn your attention to how the psalm concluded, at least in the lesson that I printed before you. It said, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. In fact, if you look at Psalm 139, it is a psalm that says, God, you are omnipotent. You created everything. God, you are omnipresent. You're with me always. God, you're going to be my strength. You're going to be my power. It ends by just declaring the praise and the wonder of God. And sometimes, you know, in church, uh, it reminds me of the song, You're So Vain. You remember that song, You're So Vain? You probably think the song is about you. Which is ironic because it is about you then, because she's referring, anyway. Um, but, 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 but is it perhaps that we're so vain we think the psalm is about us? Because it's really about God. Yes, it's good that we take and glean all of these things to the deepest parts of our soul, but then when we're there, we have the freedom by the gospel to get over ourselves and onto something greater and grander. And so the last point I want to I share with you is that I think you should consider him worthy. Worthy of your attention more than yourself. Worthy of your admiration more than yourself. Worthy of your praise. Worthy to consider how wide and high and long and deep is his love. Worthy to consider his creation and all its goodness. Worthy to, to just daydream about and get lost in thought over his majesty. And Alessia Cara said, there are scars to your beautiful. We know of scars that are beautiful. His hands and his feet for us. And those scars, they scream about his indescribable love. Those scars, they scream about our sealed and secured salvation for all who believe. Those scars are worthy of songs and praise. Consider him worthy.